Now we're going to talk about earthquakes because I guess what drives them? What drives New Zealand's fault lines, quakes and what does it all mean for us? Research indicates there is a 75% probability of an alpine fault earthquake occurring in the next 50 years. And there's a four out of five chance it'll be a magnitude eight plus event. Also, the Hikarangi subduction zone, located off the east coast of the North Island, is potentially the largest source of earthquake and tsunami hazard in New Zealand. Plenty other less well-known but still risky faults. We haven't even mentioned the Wellington one yet. Uh, Principal scientist at GNS, Graham Leonard, is with us to explain some of the fault lines that built Aotearoa and how they continue to shape and indeed shake the land. Kia ora, good morning. Kia ora, Susie. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for being here in the studio as well. Um, the different fault lines, if we, if we start with the big ones, the Alpine Fault, um, what types of faults are there around New Zealand and, and what does drive them? Well, I guess it's, it's worth taking a step back and thinking about the way the planet works. Mm. So New Zealand's a, a sitting on top of a continent, Te Ruamawi, Zealandia, and it's like 95% underwater. And right where we are, the, there's a plate boundary of these tectonic plates on the planet going right through the continent. And it's, it's pushing out a little bit of that continent out of the water. Mm. And that plate boundary is, is basically a huge fault line. It's, it, it's the fault line between these plates on the surface of the planet. And the Pacific plate on the east is pushing against the Australian plate on the west. And it's doing two main things. In the North Island, it's pushing under from from the Pacific. It's pushing under the North Island mm. and kind of driving the North Island out of the out of the water a bit, crushing it a bit, creating the mountain ranges and driving the volcanoes in the North Island. Mm. It switches in the South Island because you've got continental crust both sides of that boundary and mm. they're colliding together just like the Himalayas, and they're smashing into each other and putting pushing up an Alps, the Southern Alps, and make and, and it's coming at an angle, so they're sliding past each other as well, giving you the Alpine Fault, which is pushing up and sliding past. But it's all driven by the same plate boundary. Okay, and this is our this is our little bit of the Pacific Ring of Fire. That's exactly right. Yeah, so the same process is going on all the way around the rim of the Pacific, up through Japan, around through North and South America. Okay, so as you say, you can. You can literally see it. You know, if you fly over um, New Zealand, you can see it. You can. You can you see can. it happening. You can see it happening in the landscape, and it, many different disciplines look at it from different ways. So I'm speaking on behalf of a wide range of scientists throughout the country, throughout all of our universities. You can see it under the ocean. So if you go to Google Earth or Google Maps, you can see the mid-ocean ridges way over in the East Pacific that are spreading and pushing the Pacific Plate across. Uh, off of the east of the North Island, you can see the trench just just offshore of Hawke's Bay, where that subduction's happening, where the Pacific Plate's pushing down, and you can see the Alpine Fault. The Alpine Fault has been said to be the longest straight line on Earth, and it's this sliding fault line. And it was it's our contribution huh. to understanding plate tectonics. A guy named Howard Wellman, who was a, an Englishman in New Zealand, uh, he realized that the rocks in Nelson were offset, but the same as the ones in Fiordland, by hundreds of kilometers, and they had to have slid, apart, slid apart, and it heavily contributed to understanding that plate tectonics happened. So the risks in New Zealand are, they're kind of everywhere for a bunch of different reasons, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Mm. So we have, so there, there's, there's a risk of earthquakes, and there are fault lines, and a risk of earthquakes shaking everywhere in New Zealand, actually everywhere on the globe. Uh, but 
it's higher in New Zealand because we're right close to this fault line pretty much everywhere. So we focus on, I guess, there's probably a top four places. Mm. You mentioned a couple in the intro. Shall, shall we do the greatest hits then? Let's of, do the greatest hits. Uh, the greatest hits, hits yeah. of New Zealand's fault lines. Yes, exactly. So you mentioned the Alpine faults, mm. and you gave the stats on that in the South Island, mm. and you mentioned the subduction zone off the North Island, which is that, it really is that plate boundary. It's the biggest fault, so it can give us some of the biggest shaking. I can potentially give us big tsunami. We've talked about that in previous segments here. Mm. In between, we've got the Wellington region, which is kind of a transition zone. You've got crustal faults kind of like the Alpine fault, but splintered up into multiple faults, and you have that subduction zone under Wellington. So you kind of got the Alpine fault, the subduction zone, and Wellington between. The fourth is really everywhere else, and we kind of forget to talk about that. There are faults throughout the country and a chance of shaking all over. And actually, I was talking to a colleague about this, and his point was, actually, when you add up all those other fault lines, the chance of the next quake is probably greatest on one of those other ones, the, the outside of those big three areas. And we, we often, we, we talk about those areas as being lower seismic risk, but it's not no seismic risk. You know, places like Auckland region, Dunedin region, where we've got a lot of old buildings that haven't seen any big quakes for 50 or 100 years, we can get big earthquakes. And they're actually quite a lot more likely than somewhere uh, like Australia. We've seen earthquakes in the last mm. couple of years in Melbourne. Yeah. You know, 2021 did damage there. Uh, Newcastle, I think back in the back in the 80s in Australia, quite a bit of damage. You know, you, that's that's a place that's not on a plate boundary, and you can still have damaging quakes anywhere there. And in New Zealand, the risk the, over the whole area is higher. We often talk here about low, medium, and high seismic risk. It's probably better to think about high, very high, and very, very high. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so reassuring, Graham. I'm so glad you've come in to tell us this this morning. Um, I, I guess that's the thing, because obviously... You know, people do think about particularly those three, the, the Alpine Fault, the subduction zone off Hawke's Bay and Wellington. But then, mm-hmm. of course, in the last, uh, you know, 10 or so years, the big quakes have not been on those. It's been Christchurch. It's been Kaikoura. Exactly. Yeah, you've, you've hit it on the head. So that before it happened... And, and we would still calculate it the same way. Uh, the Christchurch quake had about a 1% chance in 50 years of happening because the fault lines under the Canterbury Plains are stressing up slowly and they have earthquakes very infrequently, you know, five to 10,000 years apart. But it happened. And we saw the consequences. You know, mm. They were physically destructive, very expensive, very disruptive um, for people for, for more than a decade. And so we need to be ready for those in other places away from the big three um, throughout the country. And mm. at 1% in 50 years, that's reasonably small, but you need to add up all those 1% in so many places around. Mm. One question, actually, that we have in from a listener about uh, the Alpine Fault particularly, um, this is from Rob, it mm-hmm. says, when it does have its overdue magnitude 8 quake, what will the effects be on volcanoes like Mount Taranaki? It's a, it's a great, great question. Great question. Yeah, eh? and actually yeah. my background is in volcanology and so we do get this occasionally Mm. Uh, there is an interaction between faults and volcanoes for sure so faults very close to volcanoes there are faults that actually go through taranaki local ones would be we'd be we'd be worried about those especially um maybe a little bit for the magma system but also just for the strength of the mountain but the further you get away the less effect a fault line has on a volcano and actually the the effect of shaking on a, on the magma chamber itself is is reasonably low people have looked at this around the world and in general uh, there is a small signal from big earthquakes you know magnitude 8 plus uh, for volcanoes in the region but it's slight it might be just a few percent chance change so mm. there might be a little change at Taranaki or Ruapehu from a a big quake somewhere in New Zealand, but 
it's only a, a slight difference. What about the situation for the Southern Alps, though? So for the, the Southern Alps are mm. driven by the Alpine Fault. They mm. are the Alpine Fault in many ways, and they will change height. Uh, I guess it's, it's worth thinking about what earthquakes do. So mm. earthquakes are just uh, the buildup of stress in the crust. Actually, we have really precise GPS all over the country, and we can see New Zealand bending at tens of millimetres a year. I'm, I'm, co- I'm holding up my knuckles and kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. bending my hands, yeah. right? And at a certain point, the rock's not strong enough, and yeah. then it breaks and yeah. realigns, and that's the earthquake in a yeah. matter of seconds or minutes. Uh, that alone isn't causing a problem. It's, it's what it does to the landscape. and uh, So it, it causes that ground shaking, and our buildings need to be strong for that. Mm. Uh, it can generate rockfalls. And so that's a big one in the uh, in the Southern Alps. It can re- generate many landslides, you know, tens of thousands in the Kaikoura earthquake, for example. Uh, it can cause, on soft ground, things like liquefaction. It's a word that mm. suddenly everyone knew after Christchurch. Yeah, that was a, it entered the lexicon, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, it totally did. And actually, the, it's, there's this cascading thing. Uh, landslides alone, they can then block rivers. And we saw that in Kaikoura. That happened in Kaikoura, exactly. yeah, I remember that. Yeah, the flooding, yeah. Yeah, so there's this whole range of things we need to think about from fault lines rupturing but it can be a good news story we can we can do a lot to choose where we live and especially choose how we engineer around earthquakes mm. uh, to reduce that impact and that and that's really important yeah so what sorts of things are we able to do when it comes to managing it and what kinds of things even on that sort of micro level what can people do at home well so at home uh, eqc has some great uh, instructions on their on their website and in their information at home it's all about thinking about your house so timber framed houses with light roofs are very strong which is good news but you want to make sure the foundations are strong in the ground that repiling of really old houses and especially that the house is well tied down to the foundation so it can't move away from the ground mm. then the remaining damage risk is inside the house so it's having those bookcases and ornaments and you know everything in your house tied down so it can't fall over and break or hurt you and then ultimately, when you have the earthquake, you need to remember uh, drop cover and hold mm-hmm. so that you're protected from anything that might be falling down. You don't want to be going to doorways because with the houses are strong. We don't actually want people moving around. We know people get injured moving around in houses or even getting hit by the door itself. We want you under a table and protecting your head. What if you're not near a table? I often wonder about this because it's all very well if you are near a table and you can get under it. But, but if you're not, if you're just like in the house, in the middle of a room, what do you do? Where's your best place? Just stopping where you are, getting down and, and co- holding and covering your head, really. Mm. You just want to stop things falling on you and, and protecting especially your head, the most vulnerable. But beyond in the home safety, you know, we've learned a lot from past events. Uh, big events have changed our understanding. Wairarapa earthquake in 1855, we moved heavily to wood. Uh, the Napier earthquake led to the first building code. But our building code is is designed to protect life safety at the moment. And a lot of people don't realise that. So we saw in Christchurch, that means you have to tear down almost all of the big buildings. That's a huge financial cost, huge carbon cost now in concrete and steel, and a social cost. And we can't really afford that. So the main thing we're thinking about, and a lot of people don't realise this, is there's, there's an acceptability question about spending a bit more if we can afford it mm. to maybe have buildings that survive earthquakes or are more quickly repairable after earthquakes, uh, not just protecting that life safety because that's not how we're designing now. Mm. Uh, a couple of quick questions, actually, in the last couple sure. of minutes up to the news. Uh, Jules asks, when the South Island Fault goes, which way, west or east, is the main energy likely to go? Can we even predict that? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Yeah, it, it certainly, um, it can be directional along the fault uh, and... Uh, 
it's going to be directed, you know, um, to some degree along the direction of the Alpine Fault. We mm-hmm. saw that actually in the Kaikoura earthquake. Mm. We saw more shaking and ground damage up in Wellington because those fault lines do direct, you know, parallel to the Alpine Fault up uh-huh. to Wellington. Uh-huh. So we do have to be worried in Wellington, not just about the Wellington Fault, which is about a 5% chance in 50 years, but these other faults that will shake Wellington as well. Speaking of Wellington, another question in. Susie, can you please ask your guest, are we absolutely mad to be living in Wellington? I live here. Uh, I live here. It's. Uh, are we mad? All of New Zealand has some risk from earthquakes, volcanoes, landslides, tsunami. But if we choose where to live well, we make good decisions about where we build and how we build, we can have a, a lot of resilience. We can, we can protect ourselves from that. Uh, there's no, it is risk everywhere in New Zealand, really. And it's just about thinking about how you build and where you build in the Wellington area. A quick word, I suppose, on base isolators before yes. we go, because that obviously is a huge thing yeah. that you can't really necessarily add them to your home, but it's a big deal for some of the big buildings, particularly yes. in places like Wellington. Yeah, so base isolators uh, are a New Zealand invention, so we can be really proud of that. That separates and changes the frequency of the shaking from the ground to the building. They're like big rubber and lead mm-hmm. bearings. You see them under Tapapa. You can go under Tapapa and see them there. They're under the hospitals. Under, under Parliament? Yes, yeah. under high-importance buildings yeah. like that. And actually, you can put them under a lot of places. We, we invented these things, but we're actually behind in putting them in lots of buildings compared to other countries. I just noticed in researching for this, this year, the first private apartment building's gone up in Wellington with base isolation, and they're yeah. marketing it that way. The question might be, could all of our buildings be like that? You know, is our, do we really want our buildings to be performing well in earthquakes and available after? And are we willing to pay that bit extra to have cities that can survive earthquakes or be easily repairable? Mm, interesting stuff. Thank you very much for your time this morning. Graham Leonard there from GNS with us on Saturday morning here on RNZ National.